Operation Tango Romeo is supported by Third Eye Insights in partnership with Miller's Lawyers. Third Eye Insights is a marketing agency specializing in creating content that connects with humans. They provide top-level logo and branding, website design, SEM and SEO, social media design and management, as well as print and promotional material. You can find them at thirdeyeinsights.ca. Miller's Lawyers is a top-level law firm led by my friend and fellow Army veteran, Philip Miller. Miller's Lawyers serves all of Canada, with offices in Calgary, London, and Toronto. If you can't afford to lose, choose Miller's Lawyers. Visit them at millerslaw.com. That's M-I-L-L-A-R-S law.com. Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. And good morning, everybody. Thank you for tuning in for another edition of Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. But not every time do I have a veteran on here, including this time. Uh, Trauma is trauma is trauma, and how we deal with it is universal. Uh, It can, and it can kill us. Trauma can kill, and to that, I am so happy to have Wade Greer on the show. Wade, thank you for being here today. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, Mark. Really appreciate it. Hey, man. Thank you so much for sending me the book that you wrote ahead of time, and it showed up in a nice little package in a gift bag through Amazon. Thanks, Amazon. Yeah, it's a nice nice little option they have there, eh, to be able to uh, wrap it and give a nice little personal message. It's good. It's like this really nice microfiber gift bag. I was impressed. I'm actually keeping that. Uh, that's going to get regifted for sure at the next event. Oh, perfect! I love the regifting. It's always uh, <laughs> do that every Christmas. Not the book, just the just the gift bag. No. I'm hanging on to that sure, thing. Sure. So we're yeah. talking about um, your book here: "Success or Suicide: A True Story" by Wade Greer. Now, I've re- I've read the first uh, couple chapters, and Wade, why? What compelled you to open up your chest, show the world what's inside, and write this book? Well, I think first and foremost, it's because I have the opportunity to because I survived. Right. Um, You know, not a lot of people have that um, opportunity when they're in as uh, deep and dark a place uh, as I was back in 2017. Um, But second to that, is just I, I feel that the subject as a whole is um, well. We all know it's completely misunderstood, but people don't talk about it in real terms. And real terms are, you know, there's a big difference between sadness and depression, and then between depression and clinical depression. Um, but really the only one that seems to understand those with depression or clinical depression are those who have experienced it. Whereas everyone else looks at it as sadness. Oh, I've been there. No, you haven't until Mm -hmm. you've, you know, 
ran a dryer vent hose into the back of your car and laid down to go to sleep permanently, you haven't been there. And and it's no offense against those, you know, the, those people. A lot of people, they just think they have to respond with something. But, you, you know, we have to talk about it in real terms in order for people to really understand it. And we have to say the word, suicide. You know, uh, people yeah. avoid it. They avoid saying the word or they whisper it or they are embarrassed or they're, they're holding back. So we, we've got to talk about it. You can't yeah. address it if you don't face it straight on. And people will mask it saying, well, I've been in a dark place or I'm battling my demons. Fucking say it. I've been considering suicide. Say it. If you say it, it takes so much of the power away from it. It does, but but here's the thing, right? Society today, if people say that word, immediately people think of them in a different light. And so they go, okay, is my is my job secure if I mention this? Yeah, um, that's right. Or, you know, will, will, you know, in my case, an entrepreneur, as an entrepreneur at the time, will my financiers pull everything will um, you know, will my friends think of me differently and so on. And, and, you know, it, it's just the, the analogy that I use in, in the book is when people think of getting help for, for mental health, they think one flew over the cuckoo's nest, right? They think padded rooms, white padded rooms and um, you know, zombie like people walking down the hallways. It's not that. And, and so just as much as, you know, in the beginning, what, what, what you've read is the actual instances that took place, meaning my two suicide attempts. But once you get to the, you know, near the end of the book, it's it's more about how do you get help? You know, how do you realistically get help and what does it look like? What does it actually look like versus what you think it might look like? What was the first bit of help for you? What was the first ray of hope? Well, the first ray of hope was actually, um, I, I, I would suggest it would be, you know, when, when you're in a clinical depression, nothing matters, right? And so you're, you're in such a state that doesn't matter what anyone says or does, it doesn't affect you. Um, I would say, and, and again, this is in the book, but um, my brother confronted me head on with it one night and it just so happened to be the night that I actually sat down and wrote my, my suicide note um, at work at the time. And um, he hit me head on. He just says, you know, what, what is it? What's going on? He showed right up at my work, which, you know, it's quite a distance from his house and um, he's not really, you know, he's a great brother, but he's not, necessarily always the most emotional brother right. um, you know, cause he's, he, you know, he's, he's, he's the badass of the family in a good way, but um, he hit me head on and he said, what is it? Tell me. And at that point I hadn't told him the, the conversations in my head and I told him I hadn't told anyone, but I hadn't, but, but I told him and you know, he pulled up to my work in a, I think it was a 1972 duster. And so that was before emissions tests and all that sort of stuff. So it just reeked of, of exhaust fumes. And shortly thereafter, 
you know, that, he, uh, you know, to, to that visit, I actually, I know it's funny I say that, you know, that that's what kind of triggered a response for me, but I actually attempted after I met him uh, at, at, at my, um, at my work. And the second attempt was by dryer vent running into the back of the car and six hours or so of laying there, getting the courage up to turn the key. And I finally did. And what hit me was the exhaust fumes. And I wonder if that was a trigger, right? And I panicked. I immediately panicked and shut the car off. But part of me was, okay, were those exhaust fumes triggering something in my head of that conversation with my brother? And then I immediately went and, um, you know, I, I I hospitalized for a month. So... Yeah. Um, Tell me about that hospitalization. Like, what do they do for you there other than keep you safe? They're not there with a magic bullet, I can tell you that. Um, you know, it, it and, and it's, you know, it, I, I look at it as a vacation for your brain in hindsight. Okay. Right? What gets you to those bad places? It, it, you know, it, it's, it's outside... Um, pressures and and forces it's it's the text messages it's the emails it's the phone calls it's the things that in your head it's called it's called catastrophization um you go to the worst case scenario in every email text whatever um but when you're in the hospital all of that's gone all of that noise is gone because you're not allowed to have your cell phone um and you can control who can contact you Um, and for me that, you know, like I said, is there a magic bullet? No, but a lot of times with, with depression and anxiety and those types of medications, they can take up to six weeks to figure out whether or not they're even working. So how could somebody that goes in to get help and stays for seven days, how, how can it actually help? It can't, right. Which is why there's a vicious cycle of people that check themselves in and then check themselves out against recommendation seven days or so later I stayed the month um, and when I when I came out it, it wasn't over right I was another two week two sorry two months off of work so three months in total and you know that was just using some of the strategies that uh, that they that they give you to, to help you to help you cope what are some of those you. what are some of those strategies that uh, that you learned in the hospital the biggest one is just having the conversations, right? A lot of times, you know, and, and I can only speak to my scenario. I mean, I feel a bit, you know, coming on this podcast, I mean, I'm very grateful for it. But, you know, a lot of the people that you speak to, you know, first responders and, and veterans and this and that, you know, they've been through it. You know, my situation was a you know, failed, you know, failed business attempts and, you know, and, and, and shitty life circumstances, which pales in comparison to what. Okay. I'm going to stop you right there. Yeah. Um, for anybody that's listened to the show, I always stop that bullshit when I hear it. Trauma is trauma is trauma. Yours is not less than mine. Mine is not more than yours. Okay. Mm -hmm. All that matters is, are you hurt? What does that look like? How can we help you? That's what that's what that is. 
okay? So don't reduce what you went through by thinking it's less than somebody else's. See, I think you just hit it on the head there too, though, right? Because there's not only the stigma around mental health as a whole, it's it's those like myself that go, listen, do you is your life really that bad compared to so-and-so's and what they've been through and so on, which makes you um, less likely to talk about it yeah, because it will be right. minimized. And which is right? why we have to understand, Wade, always that a thousand people going through the exact same circumstance is a thousand different experiences. Mm-hmm. It's different. You know, nobody can say, what, you, you lost your business? Big deal. I lost my business. I just went on and got the next one. Blech, right. No big deal. Well, that's right. a, that person is being a, um, a non-intentional douchebag, which, yeah. which simply means they are lacking empathy. Empathy. And you know, they don't know how to reply. That's right. And they think that how they experienced it must be the same as what you experienced. And it's mm-hmm. not. On my mm-hmm. tour overseas, there's a couple thousand of us there, a couple thousand different experiences. Even the people in the same platoon, in the same section, even my fire team partner did not have my experience and I did not have theirs. Just because you're in the same place did not mean you had the same experience because you're not the same person. You didn't have the same childhood. You don't have the same viewpoint. You don't have the same life lessons. You do not see it the same. And another way of putting it is, if everybody experienced the life the same, uh, there would only be one restaurant with one right. menu. And there would only be one item on that menu. And everybody would have the same favorite thing. Right. But that is yeah. not how we experience life. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Um, you know, but it, that, that's also the importance of, I mean, that was kind of like a a, a mini counseling session right there. And that's also the importance of talking to people about it, right? Because you get stuck in your own head. And when you're in that state, your own head is short-circuiting, right? That's what it is. It's, 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 it's a chemical imbalance that short-circuits your brain and makes you see life differently. Well, this, so, this conversation yep. right now, too, is also an example of peer support weight, right? Yep. Because I'm not a clinician, I'm a guy that's been through it too. I've had two suicide attempts, one when I was 12 and the other one last July. And I'm the and I'm like the recovery guy, right? I've got 185 episodes. So how could it happen to me? Well, it fucking can. And yeah. you never know when it's going to bite you in the ass. Mm-hmm. So that's why we always have to be vigilant and always kind. Because if you diminish somebody else's, like we diminish, as you've just done, we diminish our own experience. We don't need somebody else diminishing it even more. Mm -hmm. Because then it starts this downward spiral of, oh, shit, I'm just weak. There's just something wrong with me. I'm just not as strong as the other people. I don't even deserve to live, and boom, you're dead. Yeah. Right? So that's why it's so important to have these conversations and i'm so grateful for you right now because of the the quality of what we're talking about and it's completely open and this is the only way that people can that haven't been through it like you and i have this is the only way that people can understand is by listening to conversations just like this
And, and, and thanks for sharing your story, right? Because that's the whole purpose of me writing the book. It's not to make money. It's $9.99 so that everybody can, can access it. And if people can't afford it, I will send them a free one. Um, you know, it's about that message and it's about getting it out there. It's not a sob story. I'm not here to, um, you know, to, you know, to, to share my story, to, to get people to think differently of me or anything like that. It's just to be real about it. It's, you know, when, when you talk about being in that spiral, you're exhausted, right? You're mentally exhausted and, and that mental exhaustion makes you want to just go to sleep forever because being awake is too scary. Brian Wilson spent 20 years in bed. How long did you um, all told, like what was the longest stretch that you were strapped to that bed and just couldn't get out of it? I would say it was a really dark six months. Yeah, that's a long and time. And six months of, though, um, you know, lying to family and friends about what's really wrong with you, saying that you have the flu, that you're in bed, um, you know, trying to figure out how to sort of work, um, you know, and and get by, which I'm not proud of to this day, but that's part of it. Um, and, And then a good solid three months of, of recovery and recovery isn't, I'm better now. Like it's not, my life is fixed now. Recovery is, I know how to deal with it now. Yeah, and, and that's right. the reason for that Mark is, and, and maybe you, maybe you can attest to this too. Once you've faced death head on, nothing scares you anymore. Right. So life gets a, a little bit easier when you're not scared of everything because when your brain is broken, and, and I go back to that word catastrophization, because that's the that's what clicked with me when I when I when I heard that word and that explanation. It's at, your brain takes you to the absolute worst case scenario for every situation. So in my case, I had five conversations that I didn't want to have, and that I'd rather be dead than have. And in the end, like I'll rem- I, I'll never forget one of the male nurses came into my room at about, I don't know, one or two in the morning one night, and I was crying. And he sat at the end of my bed, and he said, just have one conversation. Just have one of those five. And start with the hardest, because then the rest will get easier. Now, did the, did the next day, did I pick up the phone and have that conversation? No. But I took some time. They gave me some resources for that particular issue that I was having. And in the end, Mark, all five of those conversations that I would have rather been dead than have, every one of them just wanted to help me. On my shirt, you can't see it because it's behind the microphone, but it says recover out loud. And it is so critical because when you recover out loud, like you are doing really, really loudly by writing a a straight-up book about it. And like I do with this show, you are telling other people, you are a beacon of hope for other people. And the only way to get rid of the stigma is to talk without shame, without hesitation, 
that this is what happened. Without euphemisms, straight up talk. And saying, yes, I attempted to take my own life. Twice. This is what it looked like. This is how I did it. And this is why. And this is what it felt like. And I'm not saying that how it felt for me is the same as how it felt for you. What I read for your attempts was similar but not the same as as mine. It was not the same. But it doesn't matter. The point is that when you're in a place of desperation, it puts you in that place. And it is the most judged thing ever. People, oh, it's the most selfish thing you can do. Okay, from a certain perspective, that's actually true. But that's what you are not able to connect to that in that moment. You can't connect to consequences. All you, it's a type of exhaustion that cannot be described. Um, I'm going to tell you something that we're both Joe Rogan fans. So uh, something that bugs me that that uh, I've heard him say more than once. I, I'd like your opinion. Exercise. Well, that well, that's true. That uh, I mean, he he's right, but he says you can't have a bad day if you exercise. He was um, told once. Well, well, sometimes you just don't have the energy to exercise. He says that's ridiculous. Can you get out of bed? Can you walk? The, can you walk to the fridge? Of course you can have the the ability to exercise. It's ridiculous to say that you can't have the energy to do that, but he's wrong. Absolutely. And 100%. He's wrong because he just can't conceive. Um, what he's really doing there is calling people that can't do it weak, and that's yep. not the case. So how would you describe it? That's, first of all, that's ex- those are my thoughts exactly. I'm a fan of his show and him in general, and that is the one thing I vehemently disagree with because people who are athletic, people who are, are physically healthy, they can't relate to people like myself, for instance, who's overweight. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know the, a lot of that is to do with depression, right? Not to make excuses, but if you're on... There's, it, a, it, difference, it, it, there's a difference between a reason... And an excuse. They are exactly. not the same thing. Well, and people don't know that some medication that you take for depression and anxiety leads to what's called hyperphagia. Hyperphagia is that, that, that little voice in your head that says, I'm full. It doesn't exist with certain medication, right? Um, so, you know, that leads to weight gain. So does, you know, so do pills in general um, to a certain extent. But I agree with you 100% that, that, you know, it's not, I can be supremely productive in, um, in my work day using my brain and, and so on. But the thought of physicality, it just, it's weird. It, it just, it doesn't, it, it, it's not an option in my head. And I think it's because I just mentally exhaust myself so much that, it's like your brain talking you out of it. I, I I don't know how to describe it, but 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 I I feel you nailed it. That uh, you know that's the one thing. Like you know even you know when people around you don't know what to say. I'll, I'll never forget when I was in the hospital. I had this the, the, this one psychiatrist, and the only I'll never forget. I was talking to him and I was crying, and his only words back to me were, "Oh, exercise, exercise." 
It's like, is that really what, so I actually asked for, and that's the one thing I'll say is stand up for yourself when you are getting help because there are some bad eggs out there just like there is in every profession and yeah. some that are just going to say to you, exercise. So I actually asked for a different spe- uh, specialist and I, I believe that's one of the main things that, that happened was that th- th- he turned me around. And it, I mean, it, and I, I just want to be clear here. Yes, exercise helps. Huge. I yeah. I have a re- exercise routine. I've one that I've tailored for myself. I've decided to get into arm wrestling and because the training for arm wrestling is just my pace. Like I ain't yeah. David Goggins, man. <laughs> I, you know, I ain't no Goggins. Um, right. I aspire to be, but that that ain't me, at least not at this point. Um, but the training, so I do what I can do. I do what uh, I'm able to do, which is the arm wrestling training. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't sweat when I do it. I like it. And, <laughs> yeah. um, but it's, it's something, right? If that something is going for a walk around uh, your house or, or around the block once a day or whatever it is, if it's consistent, um, whatever you can do, you should do. But when you have a truck on your chest, like let's go back to like when you're strapped to the bed for six months, right? I know what that is like. And uh, when there's a truck on your chest and somebody comes up to you and say, just just lift it off, it's a truck. Yeah. And people say, well, but there isn't actually a truck in your chest. It's just in your head. Trust me, it's a truck. Truck on your chest, truck in your head. Same diff, right? Same difference. Yeah. It's, you know, um, and again, it's just something you can't explain to people. No, and it's not an excuse. Well, and the other thing is too, like, um, I don't know if you saw the episode of Rogan where he interviewed his friend Ari Shafir, and Ari spoke specifically about his battle with depression, and it was... The moment I heard that, what it, something clicked in my head of, you know, oh, my God, there are other people experiencing the exact same things. And he's even mentioning certain medications and things like that, that you know, the, and, and their side effects. And I think that's a big thing for people that, that are struggling, be it, you know, addiction, be it uh, depression, anxiety, um, so on. I think it's, it's an educational thing. It's taking the time to learn about your diagnosis, to learn about your situation, um, because there's power in finding people that are, that are going through the same. And also it's understanding that diagnosis, Wade, because one, uh, your therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist, they're not always right. Nope. They're not always smart either. Just because they got a PhD doesn't make them smart. Trust me on this one. I know a lot of them. Right in this space yeah. that I'm in, a lot, like dozens and dozens. They're not all smart. Uh, no. Some of them are dumb as bricks. Yep. And some of them make the most horrific mistakes. My second, sui- my, my recent suicide attempt, um, I can almost put on the shoulders of my therapist that I had at the time. Because I came to her saying, hey, I'm having all these suicidal thoughts. She said to me, if, well, if you haven't done it yet, you probably won't. So don't worry about it. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I said, I'm thinking about opening up my wrist. 
Well, just take the, uh, do you have a knife that you've, uh, yeah, in, in your mind that you'd use? Yeah, I do. Just hide so that. Ideation. Just, just hide that knife that you would use, and that's it. So this is what the therapist said to me. Any professionals that have heard this story are in shock and awe at that. But the reason I'm sharing that, which I've never shared before, by the way, on the show, ever. But it's true. And just because the therapist says it doesn't mean it's it's right. You know? Question it, right? Just like I, I mentioned before. Think for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, on, on that note, that same professional that I, that I mentioned before, he had initially diagnosed me with bipolar two and, um, and anxiety. And the biggest change when I got the, the proper practitioner, he's like, he couldn't believe it. He's like, you, you have no signs of bipolar, but you, you don't know, right? You're looking for a person that knows. And he says, anxiety is a symptom of depression. So treat the depression first, and the anxiety will will subside. And and that was the difference. That was the big difference in the medication protocol. And also, and, medication yep. shouldn't be for life. And, and that's what people need to understand, right? It is you know a, a lot of people will think that they're get, you think that they're better. But there's a reason you're better. You're not it's better. You're coping. No. You're coping effectively. Yeah. So it's that. That's it's not that healing. Vicious cycle of on, off, on, off. Yeah. Oh, I'm better. Not you know people. You know, and and I'm 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 not saying I'm any smarter than anyone else in that regard because I've said to myself too. Oh, you know what? That pill that I take at night that helps my very active brain shut down. I think I should probably scale that back a bit because I'm really tired every morning because of it. Then I go to myself maybe a little a week or so later, yeah, but don't mess with it. Don't don't mess with with what's not broken because it's like I said, I'm you know, I, I'm I'm not fixed, but you know, I'm I have the protocol, be it, you know, my recognizing my own triggers, recognizing, you know, um yeah, keeping life simple, um, I think is is very important to, to, to recovery as well. Simplicity is good. There's some basic tools like decluttering. Decluttering is massive, man. If um, if your house is a mess and there's laundry on the floor, that is a direct reflection of the neural pathways in your mind. It's a mirror because they're scattered and all. And is that sort of what you mean? Like because they're short circuiting? It is. We just lost uh, Bob Proctor, the one of the greats. Uh, Bob passed away uh, the other day, and. Nice guy. One of the things that he once said that really stuck with me uh, is that a, a fella came up to him and, and was saying, my, my life is just stuck. It's just stuck. I don't know what to do. And uh, I don't know where to start. I'm just running in circles. And he just looked at him and says, do you have a garage? Yeah. Clean it. What? That's your fucking advice? Yeah. Mr. Bob Proctor, clean my garage? But he's like, well, it was Bob Proctor. <laughs> so yeah. he went yeah. and he went and he cleaned his garage. I mean, clean, cleaned it, got rid of stuff, purged, organized it. And then he started feeling better. And then he met with Bob again. He says, the hell? Like, I feel, I, it worked. 
Like what? That was, it sounded like the stupidest advice in the world, but it worked. Why? And yeah. it was that was why. The, small victories. It, it's small. It, it is, but it's 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 neural science as well. Your brain is unconsciously like apps running in the background. Like if you have ten apps open on your phone, right? It doesn't work yeah. as good. So you close them all, and so and only use one app at a time, and it works better. Your brain's the same. If That's you a have great analogy. If you have a cluttered garage, unconsciously your brain is keeping track of where everything is. If it's organized and everything's in the right drawer, you don't have to think about it anymore. So by being disorganized, you are unconsciously stressed, stressed and scattered. It's funny you say that too, because if you look up some of the most successful people in the world, like, um, you know, Zuckerberg and Steve jobs and people like that, you know, you don't have to like them, but one of the things that they do or did in Steve Jobs' case is they wore the same outfit every day. They had 25 versions of that same outfit, and they wore it every day because it was one less decision they had to make the night before and the day of, right? So that kind of speaks to what you're saying is just, okay, you don't got to think about that, right? And, you know, same as making your bed in the morning. I've heard, you know, I've heard that is now I – I struggle a little bit with that, but when I do, I actually feel better. Um, it's it's an important habit to have. Um, yeah. Uh, people, they roll their eyes at that, and it's like, no, you don't fucking get it. Make your goddamn yeah. bed every yeah. day. Because when you do, it's the first promise that you just kept to yourself. When you keep promises to yourself, that is how you build confidence. When you build confidence, you build self-esteem but it starts by keeping promises to yourself. So you make that bed every fucking morning for yourself because it's a promise that you give yourself. And it's that clutter thing as well, right? It's one thing off the list and it looks good. Mm -hmm. What do you feel Mark has been the, uh, the catalyst to kind of your, your, your shift, you know, in, in, in your, in your recovery, what's been the most important thing for you? Making my bed in the morning and all the other things that are that are analogous analogous to that. So, on consistency my with with making the decision to have the habits that are daily, positive habits that are daily that are within my capacity. Promise. I make the promises. I keep the promises. 428 days ago, I promised myself I'm going to learn French, period. Like, enough. I wanted to do it my whole life. I never had the discipline to do it. Discipline is the bridge between what you want now and what you want the most. And when you keep those promises to yourself, so on Duolingo, it's 428, whatever it is, well over 400 days in a row. So I get to see that and I get to go, oh, this is, this is who I am. I'm the guy that keeps this promise. And right. it feels good. When you feel better about yourself, it, it is so effective at um, helping to keep the depression at bay by keeping that promise to yourself. It's 20 minutes a day or 10 minutes a day. You know, it, it doesn't matter. Can I speak French yet? Hell no. But, uh, but I speak a hell of a lot more than I did 420 days ago. Throw something at me. Uh, 
j'étudie français chaque jour avec Duolingo dans ma table. You know. Something about a table. No, no, portable oh. is your cell phone. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <Thanks> <laughs> but <for trying. laughs> but um, uh, the arm wrestling training, I train minimum once a day, usually twice a day. And it, it is, it, it's short, it's sweet, it's quick. Away you go. This show, right, is another promise that I keep to myself. It is the consistency, not the volume. It's the consistency. When you keep those promises to yourself, um, you feel better about yourself. When you feel better about yourself, you treat yourself better. It's a positive feedback loop. Right. Well, you, when you also feel like you're helping um, as well. A right? sense of like purpose is huge. Yeah, and that's, you know, later on in the book, you'll see, you know, one of the things that, that I mention is find your three Ps. What, who's your person? What's your perspective? And what's your purpose? And try to define those three things. And I'll tell you, in my particular case, my person is my mother. She's my best friend, um, without a doubt. My perspective is my aunt with special needs. Um, she puts life into perspective for me when I start feeling sorry for myself or when I start getting low. Um, all it takes is a trip up to see her and, um, and I feel better. And then my purpose is my daughter. And, you know, um, I'm a single guy, um, you know, 42. Don't even have a pet or a plant to keep alive right now. She's off to university, um, kind of on her own. But I moved down to be closer with her so that when I do have the opportunity to get time with her, it reminds me of my purpose, right? But I think, I also think that, you know, a lot of this, I'm, I'm fortunate that I have family around me. I'm fortunate that I have the opportunity to get supports. Um, you know, obviously the healthcare system in the U.S. is a lot different than the healthcare system in Canada. So there's a big gap there for getting help. Um, so it's not to, you know, some people might not be able to find they're three P's like that, right? Because they don't have people around them. And, and those are the most vulnerable, right? That, that just, you know, it's, it's like you said, every situation is different and, you know, ours is just, are just two of them. I mean, I've had so many people reach out to me since, since launching the book and people I don't even know and, and sharing their story with me and saying, you know, um, I haven't told anybody but my father this in one particular case. Um, and I think it's just a, you know, it's a cry. It, 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 it's, it's a cry out for help and, and, and relativity to, to say, you know, Oh my God, like people have gone through this, like your story, sharing your story, man, like no one would have ever thought that. Right. And for the exact reasons you just said about, you're the recovery guy. You're the, you know, you have a hundred and some episodes about recovery, but you struggle. Yeah. Well, you said it in the beginning of the conversation, Wade, that um, recovery is about managing it better. Mm -hmm. Right. And in July, when I uh, attempted to open up my wrists, um, it's a learning experience. Like I am so grateful for that experience, 
because it puts me in a position where I can better understand, especially being in this space. Now, this space, again, is my purpose. And I, I'm, if, I'm nothing if not authentic. So I want to talk to you about your three Ps. Okay? Sure. Can yeah. I do this? Yeah. As you move forward in your healing, wait. I would like you to strongly consider changing those three Ps. Because all three of them, those three pillars, are external to yourself. Mm -hmm. And you can lose any of those three. That's a good point. So if you're relying on, on external people to keep you steady, you're not steady. Right. That purpose has to be internal. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe that purpose is helping others by promoting your book. I don't know. But yeah, if, it's, a, if it's yeah. not internal, you don't own it, and it can be taken mm-hmm. away. And then you're not safe. And, I, well, and, and on that note, I mean, one of the things that, you know, since this has all happened, you know, my daughter is, like I said, she's, she's grown up and she's gone away to, um, to university and then I start to think to myself, what, what do you actually do? What do you like to do? What, you know, what do you question your purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but subsequently, that's, I started writing this book. And from there, I want, you know, again, I said to you before, the purpose of the book isn't to make money. No, you don't make money with books. No, you don't. Unless it's you're J.K. Rowling. A, it, it's literally a toonie, literally. Yeah. Um, but I want, you know, I, I want to speak, you know, not just on podcasts and, and so on, but I want to, you know, um, turn it into a little bit of a speaking tour to speak directly to entrepreneurs. Yes, I want to help everybody, but my specific scenario is very relative to entrepreneurs. But then I also want to help spread the message, a message of kindness. You mentioned it before, right? I don't know if you can see, but uh, there's my tattoo. Kindness matters. I love it. Kindness matters. And there's my other one, a note to stay positive, and then the date that I went into the hospital, 10 17, 17. Nice. It's keeping it at the forefront. So I see what you mean. Um, obvious, you know, same, same as goals and same as, you know, uh, desired outcomes, things can shift. I think finding those three Ps in the darkest moment of my life is what has helped get me to here. Now I have to determine what gets me another 40 years, right? Mm-hmm. So shift, you know, things can shift, things can change. And, um, you know, you have to be open to that as well. So yeah, thanks for pointing that out. Thanks for allowing me to. Um, like I warned you, this, you're not going to get grilled, but it will be a conversation and it will be an honest and authentic one, right? Yeah, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, the book itself looks at, you know, what it's like to actually be in that dark moment. Then what do you think of that image? Did it hit you pretty hard or? It's actually, uh, it's an excellent cover. Thank you. you. Know, it's, That's it, actually, that was the first thing 
that came to me was the cover. And once I saw the cover, that's what pushed me to finish. The only thing um, that that I would add um, is that if you're to ever redo this cover, have those knuckles on, on that hand bloodied and bruised. Right. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Yeah. But, um, no, it's a good cover because it, uh, it gets right to it. You know, it's, yeah. it's powerful. And, um, the fact and that, that was the first attempt was, was, you know, yeah. Trying to hang myself. Um, I guess there are some perks to being overweight. It's um, sometimes being a junkie monkey is a good thing. Hey man, that, uh, you know, and people say, you want, know, you know, don't you know you're you're making light of it well yeah you have to right yeah. it's either that or i you know i stay stuck in the darkest moments of my life um and people say sorry sorry to hear that sorry to, don't be sorry you know this is it's it, it's in hindsight it's the best thing that ever happened to me yeah i, I think a better response like because people don't know what to say so here's what you say people if somebody tells you that they're struggling um, say thank you. Thank you for trusting me with that. Thank mm-hmm. you for sharing. That's way better than sorry. Yeah, I mean it's it's And what do you like, need? Th- yeah. You know, I believe you. What do you need? Is there anything that help? you know, what is there anything that I can do? You know, what do you need? Isn't that hard though, Mark, when when you're in that situation though being able to respond to that even and say well, what it is you need? That's why there's mental health first aid courses as well. And, um, and the thing is, just being there is what they need. You know, getting somebody out of the house, um, inviting them out, just get them out of the fucking house. Give them a reason to get out of the house and snap out of that negative feedback loop and try to start a positive feedback loop. And if you are not trained or qualified to give advice, shut your pie hole and don't just get them out of the house. Be kind and let them know that they are loved. Depression is largely disconnection. It is disconnection. And you said that in your book, it's disconnected, being disconnected from yourself, being disconnected from others, disconnected from purpose. That's what depression is. It's not just serotonin and dopamine. Those are the effects, not the causes. And But we always treat it backwards. Oh, that's the cause. Your brain's imbalanced. No, my brain's imbalanced because I'm out of alignment with my purpose. I'm in out of alignment with my true self. I'm out of alignment with me and with my life and with, with, with being healthy. Because our true self is a healthy person. If we are not healthy, then we are out of alignment with our true self, which causes the de- dopamine and the serotonin to be off track. Well, so. it's a it's 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 a perfect storm of many things, right? Just like you said, it's 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 misaligned with your purpose. It's disconnected. It's short circuiting. It's so. You know, that's what gets you to that very darkest point. I think it's just a, a series of shitty things. Um, and, and, you know, uh, right down to your upbringing to so on and so forth. And if, if you look at how it's such a fundamentally misunderstood disease, because that's what it is. It's a disease. Think of any 
traditional kind of practitioner, right? They can typically look, see, feel what they're treating. Or they could uh, run a scan or take some blood or this and that and, oh, okay, here's, here's how we deal with it. Here's what it is. There's none of that for mental health, right? No, nothing. It's just a guess. Yeah, they're throwing it's darts. Throwing darts. Yeah. Like, like, like you said in your case, right? And in my case, there's two examples right here. You know what the diagnosis really is? It's a game of pin the da- pin the diagnosis on the donkey. It really, really is. They're putting on a blindfold, spinning around three times, and going up to the chart. And then after, there's like, oh, okay, ADD, cool. You know, and it really is. It's a game of pin the diagnosis on the donkey. And um, nothing against them though, because that's that. That's what we got. That's what we have. That's what we and we can send a monkey to the moon, right? But we have to throw darts at our own brains. Yeah, that's exactly. Have you have you heard of what Elon Musk is doing with Neuralink? (laughs) What what isn't he doing? Neuralink. Have you heard of that? I I do, but uh, I'm not sure where you're going with it. (laughs) Neuralink is a chip that gets installed into the top of your head, and it runs wires into your brain. Uh, and he said one of the primary reasons he developed it is for depression, Alzheimer's, um, uh, dementia, uh, PTSD, uh, things of that nature. Um, so, I mean, is there hope? I know the thought of a brain chip isn't um, overly uh, celebratory to a lot of people, but I think people in those situations will look for, you know, will we'll look for help in any way they, they can get it. Well, right? now I have an excuse to try to get Elon on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Man, he's, he's, you know, he can, you know, he's changed so many things, right? Love him or hate him or whatever. He, he, he literally looks at the world through a completely different lens. And if you look at everything he's doing, it's all for the better of mankind. It's not, He's not this evil overlord that's what he know. could be. He might be. We'll see. He, well, his yeah, his yeah, history yeah, will tell my us. Opinion, right. But um, wait, yeah. what uh, what tools are you using on a daily basis that help you get through the day? Um, I, I would say the most effective are quiet. Mm. Um, whether that's first thing in the morning, just sitting and enjoying a coffee. Right. Uh, well, but but I usually do, you know, it's usually nighttime um, that I just try to keep my head quiet. And whether that's, you know, this might sound like I'm going backwards, but even just laying in the dark and closing my eyes after a day of being on the computer and meetings and this, that and everything. It's like, OK, your 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 brain is a computer. Right. If you don't shut down your laptop. Uh, for a reboot every now and again, um, it's going to go a little wonky on you. So I try to do that as much as I can. Um, the old me used to, would be, oh, people are going to think I'm lazy or people are going to whatever, right? But I don't care about that noise anymore because that's all it is. There's about 10 people that I care about legitimately about what they think about me. And that's not to be ignorant or anything like that. Um, but other than that, Life is just noise, 
and trying not to get caught up in that noise, be it social media arguments, be it political debates, be it, you know, everything to do with the pandemic I try to avoid. Um, you know, just so, so just kind of keeping my brain quiet is the best way I can describe it and being around people that make me feel better. You don't have to attend every argument that you're invited to. And yet exactly. on social media, pe- people just dive in. Oh, I just got invited into an argument. I'm fucking in. Let's go. Yeah, you know, it gives and, everybody a voice, right? And, yeah, and, and it's, you know. And, my least favorite thing is the rant and raves because it should yeah. just be a rave and rave. Yeah. Well, and you can disagree with people without hating them too, right? Yeah. That's called a debate. And well, it's, it's called maturity. It's called being yeah. an adult. It's called being kind. Exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate, though, Mark, with, when you say, what, what, what do I do? Um, I went back to a, 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 a typical job, right? And through that, you know, it's been three and a half years now, close to four, it's finding even the right environment that you want to work in if you're not an entrepreneur anymore. And I've, I've found a real home at um, Mark's, uh, Mark's <laughs> um, owned by the Canadian Tire Group, specifically Mark's Commercial. Um, and what I found was, so, so this is an organization with 85,000 plus employees where the typical narrative is when you're at an organization that large, you're just a number. It's the total opposite. It's an organization that really cares about mental health it's an organization that I initially turned down my job offer because of my mental health and I didn't feel like I was ready. And I went back, you know, a month or so later or two months later and explained it very real, like, like we're doing today. And they didn't judge me. They brought me on board. And they empowered me to talk about it in, in meetings and, you know, maybe it helps other people that I work with. And that's a big, big thing, right, is – you know, you spend eight hours of your day minimum, you know, at work and <clears throat> feeling that I'm surrounded by a bunch of people that care. Um, that's huge. And I think that's a lot of what does keep me on track to this day is, is that decision. It's, it's, it's a bunch of positive decisions, Right whether it's the positive decision to lay in the dark and listen to a thunderstorms app, (laughs) which is a lot of times what I do to help myself go to sleep. Um, Or whether it's to, you know, if I'm not having the best day chat with my, um, my manager and I know that he's understanding and so is his VP. Um, And there's some of my, I feel like they're some of my biggest fans in in getting this message out. And that is very, um, well, it makes you kind of, you know, it makes you kind of well up even just talking about it because isn't that part of the problem too is like people that struggle with mental health getting through, you know, tough times at work. You know, get, getting, you know, maybe needing to take a day off here and there before your mental health, not just your physical health. It's huge. And having an employer that understands and treats it no different than um, I broke my leg this morning. 
is yep. absolutely crucial and critical. And it's part of the, the Bell Let's Talk idea, I suppose. Yep. You know, it, it is so important and it saves lives because if you don't do that, then you're adding to the negative feedback loop a sense of hopelessness. Mm-hmm. And that sense yeah. of hopelessness um, can easily lead to depression and suicide. Absolutely. And, and that's literally one thing that an organization can do that can possibly stop people from, from that, right? Especially in a sales environment where it's a con- constant roller coaster of emotions, right? Because in sales, you're up and down and up and down like a toilet seat. Yeah, that's right. And I've always said that sales is psychology. If you can manage that roller coaster and those ups and downs, then you'll be you'll do well. But if you if you work for an organization that doesn't understand that and just is numbers, 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 yeah, numbers matter absolutely, hundred percent. But so does supporting people when the numbers aren't there. Yeah. Right. So that's you know again. Well, and that's uh, part that's part of the education piece, and it's also part of why it's so critical to have this conversation that we're having right now, Wade, because by people listening to it, then they can help them understand, right? That somebody who is struggling, which is everybody to some degree, especially over the last two years, um, that it's natural. It is human to struggle. You know, we are natural beings living in a very unnatural world. That causes anxiety and disconnection, just the way we've built this society. We haven't built it um, ergonomically correct for our species. We haven't. And um, we, we need to do a better job. It's, it's also the, the, you know, and I hate to blame things on social media because it's not the full, but you also take on the pressures of everybody else's lives, right? When, you know, the, you all have friends that, you know, you're sitting on Facebook and you're listening to them rant and um, rave and, and this and that. I'm like, man, cut those people out of your life. If people don't bring positivity to your life, I don't care who they are or who they were in your life. Get rid of them and, and surround yourself with people that, that care, that are positive. Because misery loves company, right? A lot of people want you to be pissed off because they're pissed off or be mad at someone because they're mad at someone or hate their job because they hate their hate your job because they hate their job or this and that get rid of them. It is so critical to control your environment. And absolutely. When you control your environment, you are keeping promises. You're treating yourself with respect. So people complain, Oh, social media is so negative. You control your feed. Yep. Why, why is your social media negative? Control yep. your feed. Unfollow people, unfriend if you have to, block them. Yeah. You know, but you control Brilliant the tool. feed. Yeah. You know, your social media, especially Instagram, which I actually like, um, you can control it to be nothing but motivational and inspirational. Nothing but. It is yep. easy. You control your feed. And if you, for the most part, we control who we associate with. If you have a couple of toxic people at work, start finding a different job or address the issue, but do your best to control that environment. 
you know, mm-hmm. but it is, it is up to us. Nobody can do it for you. Yep. You have to control your environment. I saw a great quote the other day that said, make sure you're happy in real life, not just on social media. <laughs> There's, right? Well, that's exactly it. You know, um, people have um, ideas in their head. Oh, look at this couple. They're the perfect couple. They're, they're so happy. Yeah, you don't know shit. Yeah, you yeah. Know, Meanwhile, I, I, they're going, you know, through a separation in the background that you don't know about. Or, yeah, I, I've seen you know, more, many of these perfect cu- couples have the most nasty of divorces. You know, mm-hmm. and I know them personally. So, right. um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, no. What's on social media is um, what they wish was. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't yeah. agree more. It's an image. Uh, Wade, how, how do people find your book? Uh, very simple. Just go to my first and last name, wadegreer.com. Um, you can find it there. Uh, it's Wade with a Y, though. So For, for those that are um, audio, audio listening, Wade, W-A-Y-D-E, and then Greer, G-R-E-E-R. Don't know why my mom threw the Y in there, um, <laughs> but, uh, but she did. Uh, and if all else fails and you can't find it uh, there, you can just go to Amazon and Google success or suicide with a question mark. And um, you should be able to find it uh, there as well. And it's uh, the one thing I just want to say is that it's not just for entrepreneurs. Um, it, it's for it's for anybody who is struggling with depression, anxiety, but even more importantly, their caregivers and the people that are around them. Because my mom actually writes the foreword um, in the book from a caregiver's perspective, and I think you know between that and some of the other tips within the book that it can be helpful to anyone that even knows somebody that's struggling with, um, you know, depression, anxiety, or anything else, any sort of mental, mental health uh, issues. Um, so it's very important to know that. And, um, you know, I, 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 I doubt that you'll find a book that's more raw. So reader discretion is advised, but, I think you'll understand why it is when you see the outcome, chapters 11 to 19, um, that kind of walk you through the recovery process. So, um, yeah. Wayne, thank you so much for making, uh, give me an hour of your day and joining welcome, me today. Man. Thank you, Mark. And, and, and more importantly, Mark, thanks for sharing your story. Right. And, you, you know, uh, we know each other now. Uh, if you ever need to reach out to anyone and, and um, you don't need to talk, I'm just a text or a, or a message away. So I uh, know that I mean that sincerely. Roger that. Wade, yeah. please stay on the line. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Now, I've got a favor to ask you. And I know everybody asks for the same favor, but it's really, really important. If you can help, do your little bit by going to Apple Podcasts, leaving a rating and a comment. That would be awesome. Also, on your favorite podcast platform, whether that be Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, or whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back, please click follow and if there's an option there for rating please do so and this is why every time you click like leave a rating leave a comment what happens is that it makes it easier for other people to find this podcast the help that you can't find 
doesn't help at all. So help other people find this so that they can help themselves. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And as always, share, share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring. Operation Tango Romeo is supported by Third Eye Insights in partnership with Miller's Lawyers. Third Eye Insights is a marketing agency specializing in creating content that connects with humans. They provide top-level logo and branding, website design, SEM and SEO, social media design and management, as well as print and promotional material. You can find them at thirdeyeinsights.ca. Miller's Lawyers is a top-level law firm led by my friend and fellow Army veteran, Philip Miller. Miller's Lawyers serves all of Canada with offices in Calgary, London, and Toronto. If you can't afford to lose, choose Miller's Lawyers. Visit them at millerslaw.com. That's M-I-L-L-A-R-S law.com. Thank you.